morning, guys. Everyone well? That was an amazing time of worship. Thanks to the worship guys. We had an opportunity to uh, go out and uh, share the gospel yesterday with Declan and uh, some guys here from the church. And uh, it was a blessed time. It's always very stretching to go out there in the street, you know, and people are, you know, they don't want, uh, when, people, when someone comes up to you, they think, uh, you know, what, what do they want to sell me or are they weird? But I think coming through in the worship and the words this morning that the power of the gospel, the heart of the gospel is worth taking out there. Because every single man, woman, and child needs it. Even if it's painful and awkward to take out there, the resistance. So we forced ourselves out on the street and we saw some really cool miracles um, out there. And, uh, and the gospel has power. I, um, I'm going to share my testimony, a very, very uh, short, uh, a short conc- uh, concise version uh, just the headlines, um, and then we, uh, we're going to look at the cross, and um, I'm hopefully, hopefully, as I present it this morning, um, we would uh, not only be blessed ourselves, uh, those of us that have already given our hearts to Jesus, we would be thankful that we have gone through that process, but that maybe some of us that may have drifted from the Lord may go to, I need to come back today properly. I, I've been uh, straying, and they, uh, you, f- you may feel today that uh, a recommitment is in, is in order. Um, and then I also feel, especially from the words that have come this morning, and I felt like the Lord wanted to urge us in the Lord, and I think that's what Mark shared now, is that we would have a heart for evangelism. <laughs> however awkward and painful and sacrificial and I don't want to do it, uh, that the Lord is, 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 is calling to us because the gospel has power and beauty to save and changes people. Uh, Rihanna, why don't you quickly come up? Rihanna's got a minute. Um, uh, besides saving us uh, from heaven and hell, the gospel also changes us. One minute quickly. Um, So I went through a season where I was very hurt, and forgiveness was a big thing for me, and God used my Grenadilla bush to help me with that. And, you know, this morning I woke up with this excitement for church, like this, I was like just excited, not because he has risen, but I was excited for what he's going to do in people's lives. But anyway, while um, my Grenadilla, Grenadilla bush was like, I was like really honored it, but it was like a thing for me. And then one day I just died. And that's when God started putting me in. Took one branch, and the one branch was forgiveness. And sure, I had to make the call to somebody and say, I need to meet you to forgive you, you know, and just to talk things through and speak the truth. And I must say, just that, laying there this morning thinking, he died for me so I could forgive. And I just want to honor the Lord today, and I want to encourage anybody that's sitting here today that if you've got anything in your heart against anybody, today's the day of family we meet. Go, make it right, because it gives us freedom. So, yeah, just bless the Lord for that. Yeah. Thanks, Rihanna. Beautiful. You did well. So, I feel like the Lord wants to soften our hearts today. You know, we, 
we, we, like Rihanna shared, we, we never get to that place without a soft heart. So Rihanna wakes up and God softens our hearts. And that's the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel makes us melt. And it makes the world melt when the revelation comes through with the power of the Holy Spirit. I grew up in apartheid, South Africa. I, I know I look 26, but I'm actually 51. Uh, and uh, uh, in those days, for those of you that were in South Africa, apartheid was a pretty freaky thing. Everything was separate. Uh, black and white was separate, completely separate, and everything in uh, parties, in school, in toilets, in beaches. It was comp- everyone lived separate. And I was the brown kid at white school. So I, I come from a Portuguese heritage. So I have a, a European heritage. So I get a, a, a white man's passport. But I'm not very, very white. And I, I used to surf. I started surfing at, at 12 years old. And I surfed like all the time. So I was going really brown as well. And at school, as we all know, school is the most inv- uh, uh, um, affirming environment you could ever experience. You know, it's a place of great love and encouragement. Um, you know, it's very much like heaven. The other children are extremely accepting and loving. So if you're slightly different in any way, you know, too tall, too short, too wide, too narrow, uh, too whatever. And I was too brown. And so at the white school, they used to call me racist names and they created a deep, deep insecurity in me. But I thought that if I was a cool surfer, I would be accepted. So I just poured myself into surfing. Let surfing save me. If I'm a cool surfer, I will be accepted, which is uh, uh, kind of true, but not really. Inside, I was a complete mess. I was a little boy inside wondering, who am I? Am I, who am I? Am I? Uh, worth being loved, and I didn't have a strong relationship with my dad either at the time. I've got a beautiful relationship with him now. Uh, So I had no anchor in my life, and then I met Jesus. I went to a meeting in Port Elizabeth uh, together with Andrew Selly, who we all know or have heard of, uh, who leads Josh Jen, and he dragged me off to that meeting, and he said, uh, you know, everything we were uh, doing was wrong. At that time, we were smoking marijuana and listening to Bob Marley. And Andrew came home and he said, uh, he said, Joe, everything's wrong. And I said, how could Bob be wrong? And it, I just couldn't get around that. But eventually, I went uh, off to this meeting. And there was a guy called Neville Goldman, who uh, in PE is a very spiritual place, Christian and the other side of the uh, spectrum, which is sat- Satanism. And uh, it was an ex-high priest in the satanic church. His name is Neville Goldman. And um, Joe and Tanya know him. Uh, uh, He's he's a colored uh, brother. And uh, he gave an altar call. And I'd prayed many, many times. And we're going to pray a little bit later. And maybe you've heard the prayer so many times. But I decided to pray because... um, you know, Andrew and I went to spiritism and everything, and so, you know, we felt like we knew the spiritual realm. And as we prayed, the power of God came upon me. The, the power of the God had come upon me about six months before at another church invite, but I didn't respond then. And this time, the power was too strong. I just couldn't resist. And as Neville shared the gospel, I knew I'd heard it in South Africa since I was very, very small. But this time, it was real. I knew that Jesus is the truth. I knew that I was a sinner, and I knew that Jesus came, uh, that he loved me, and that he came to earth to save people. 
and myself was included. And I received uh, Jesus uh, in that meeting. I remember going to the front. I, I, I was, you know, I've been very high on drugs before. I, I was never that high before. The, the power, you know, everything's a counterfeit. Alcohol, drugs, it's a counterfeit for the Holy Spirit. I was so high on Jesus and experiencing his power and his presence, I felt like I was actually about a meter above the ground. I was just like floating. And my hands were raised, and I must have had so many demons. I, they just left me in that moment. Demons can't stay when the power of God gets too strong. I was just delivered, saved, born again, covered with the blood of Jesus, forgiven, filled with love. God changed my heart. I was supernaturally changed into another creature. And I remember walking down the aisle after the meeting, and again, I felt like I was about a half a meter above the ground. I had uh, this uh, girl that had been praying for me, Jenny Lovemore, who's uh, in Josh, and she she was just, people were just coming to me and like they were so happy for me that I'd found Jesus. What I wanted to share on today, and I really feel that this is also going to help us um, in our evangelism is, um, and now my notes aren't working. Um, uh, okay, let's try again. There we go. Um, is uh, that uh, I was... In that moment, saved because I felt the acceptance of Jesus. He accepted me exactly as I was. So I was, in that moment, grateful to Jesus because he had saved me from the rejection of man. I, for the first time in my life, I truly felt accepted, and that's what Jesus does. He accepts you just the way you are. He, it's not you plus anything. He just takes you as you are. And he accepts you and draws you in where you are. I'd have never experienced it in my life. But actually what I wanted to share about today is actually something a bit more serious. Is in that time, I received Jesus because of that love and acceptance that I'd never felt love like it before. I'd never felt anything in, my, in the whole world. You know, I've been, uh, you know, speak to Gavin, I've been barrel riding, you know, the best that surfing could offer, you know. And nothing in this world compares to the experience of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the power of Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit. It was the, the greatest thing I'd ever, ever known. Um, but primarily I accepted Jesus, not only because I had a revelation of the gospel, but actually at the heart level, it was because of this thing of acceptance. I was craving acceptance. I felt rejected by man, but he completely and utterly accepted me. But there was actually something that I didn't realize at the time that was a lot more serious. He saved me from the rejection of man, but there's something more important that he actually saved me from long term, and that's eternal re rejection from God. And that's what I wanted to share about today. As John 3.16 says, and I remember Mark Davies sharing this. I heard it in a Mark Davies preach about 10 years ago in this very building. And I was sitting out somewhere over there, and Mark was over there. And he shared this message, and it really, really bothered me because he shared a different aspect of for God to love the world. And I know it's Easter now, but I'm actually going to talk about hell because if Jesus is the medicine, we need to realize what is the problem. And uh, Mark Davies said, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, but that that love in that passage there is not a feeling, it's a verb. 
God didn't love the world because the world was lovable. He loved the world as an action by sending his son because the world was actually despicable and he wants to reach out and save this despicable world. That outside of Jesus, we are, we are ugly. Where there's nothing lovable about us outside of Jesus. And this message in the church is changing the church that we are actually lovable outside of Jesus. That we don't actually need Jesus as much as we think. Or even as we are Christians and if we've been in the church for 10 years, we're a little bit more lovable because of our, our lives are quite clean. Outside of Jesus, we, as with the sinners that have still not accepted him, are what the Bible says in Romans 9.22, objects of wrath. And when Mark shared that message, I actually didn't like it, hey. I said, Mark, I hate that message. I didn't actually say it to Mark. But I, I, I was like, I don't like this message. I wanted to feel like God looks down the world and he kind of loves the world like in this, um, in this feeling like he's, you know, he feels this gushy kind of feeling towards as he looks over the world. The world is lost in its sin. Jonathan Edwards in uh, uh, 1741, he started the Great Awakening in America. And the Great Awakening in America was not started by this gushy preach about God so loves you and no mention of Jesus. He started a preach which is now famous called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he said the, the power and the revelation of God fell upon that meeting so greatly that men and women were running and holding onto the pillars of the house out of fear of God. Because outside of Jesus, God is a fearful being. And the reason why is because we carry sin. Without Jesus taking away our sin, we are only Objects of wrath. So Mark Davies shared this preaching. I hated it. As many of you might be hating it now. But the reality is it's the truth. And as that started to sink in over the years, I started to realize Mark was right. So what I'm sharing on today, and before I go there, the picture of the ark is so important. The ark is Jesus. The storm outside is the wrath of God. You're in Jesus, you're safe. You're outside of Jesus, you are destroyed. And the ark is a picture of Jesus. And if you're not in Jesus today, get in Jesus. That ark, that boat, that door is still open. But one day it will shut when you die. And you don't know when that will happen. And when that door of that ark shuts. It says that people were wanting to get in, but it was sealed. There's a door today, wide open. God offered him his son for us and said the door is open, come into the ark and be saved. Because there is a storm coming. A storm that this world has never known. You know, the Bible calls uh, this day not only a great day, but it also calls it a terrible day. And we see it in Joel 
in the NLT, the sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and terrible day. How do we reconcile those two words? We've got great, and for us that are in Jesus, it would be a great day. But for us that are outside of Jesus, it will be a terrible day, a fearful day. You know, some of you may have had uh, that feeling sometimes when your, uh, your wallet is missing. Uh, you know, you, you, I remember the one time I, um, I always put my wallet underneath the, the seat of my car. And uh, I, I noticed, I, I don't know where the car was parked. I think it was just outside uh, my house. But I seemed to suspect that someone had seen me put my wallet under my seat. And the next day I went to go see my wallet. Uh, I feel my wallet under my seat and it felt like it was gone. And you know that sinking feeling, because you know how much of your life is in your wallet. You've got your, uh, your debit cards, you've got your ID, you've got your driver's license, you've got your medical aid card, you've got money in there. There's so much in your wallet. And you know that feeling? That fe- because you don't, it's not just the wallet gone. It's not just the money gone. It's, do you know how hard it is to get a driver's license in South Africa? You know those cues, what they look like? You know how hard it is to get an ID? This, this, it feels devastating. But can I tell you, that day of judgment that is coming will be, uh, you losing your wallet is nothing compared to that day. Not having Jesus. You know, I, I remember, have you ever been driving and you're having a beautiful, pleasant drive and then suddenly you see the cars are slowing down the future and the, the police are pulling over cars. And they're checking license and registration. And you know that feeling? <gasps> I hope I got my, you know, you're checking and you're, you know, wife is stressing. Have you got your, you know, there's that feeling? On that day, it's going to be infinitely worse than that, that feeling. I'm trying to paint a picture to realize this judgment day is coming. And what it'll feel like for those that don't have their wallet, i.e. Jesus. It'll be not only a, a great day, as an extremely important, but a terrible day. The good news. Okay, everyone settle, I've done the hard part. The good news is uh, coming now. So, Exodus uh, chapter 12. 21 to 23. So this is a passage uh, from the uh, Old Testament. It's uh, regarding the nation of Israel. Uh, Moses was the leader at that time. And they were living in Egypt. And God said, I'm going to bring a day of judgment upon Egypt. And he gave Moses these instructions. Uh, Then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go at once and select the animals. So Moses was doing this out of obedience to God. Go at once and select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin. Remember blood now. This is really important. Dip it into the blood in the basin, and this is the blood of a lamb, 
and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the door frame. None of you shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike you down. The Bible says that there will be a separation on that last day, the day of judgment. I'll come back to this passage in a moment. We're just a tie it all together. Matthew 25, 31 to 32 says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate the people. This is an important part. He will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. On the day of judgment, everyone of, that's ever lived on earth will form a line, probably many lines, and they will be separated into two groups. You will either land up in the sheep group, or you will land up in the goat group. And the Bible actually says that Jesus will delegate this role to angels. Matthew 13, 49 to 50. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we see that angels will come, people will assemble, everyone that's ever lived, everyone will be alive, even those that have died in their sin, everyone will be alive. We're sitting in queues, imagine that line of queues with the police checking the license and registration, yeah? Very similar situation, except there's angels doing it, very powerful angels doing it. Everyone's in these queues. The first part of the queue, it's totally mixed. After you've been processed, there's two groups. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. I'm not making this up. And uh, the angels will not look for good deeds. The angels will look for blood. The angels will look for blood. Do you have the blood of the lamb on you? They don't care if you're tall, thin, rich, poor, dressed nicely, not dressed nicely, not dressed nicely. They don't care about that. All they do is they look for blood. Look, this man or woman or child has the blood. Let them go over here. They don't have the blood. Go over there. Do you have the blood? And we see, looking back at that scripture, that it was the same on that day of judgment over Egypt, is that uh, the lambs were sacrificed, the blood of the lamb was put on the doorposts of the houses, and when the destroyer angel came through and he saw blood, he left that house alone. And that's what's going to happen on the day of judgment. There's going to be an indiscriminate judgment upon us, but when they... When when the angels and when God sees the blood upon you, you will not be harmed. But if you don't have the blood upon you, it'll be infinitely worse than that police stop where you're missing your license. There will be no end to the consequences forever and ever and ever again. 
And if we got that in our hearts, it would change our evangelism, I know. And I said to someone, you know, William Booth, who started the Salvation Army in late, early 1900s, 1800s, one of his guys from London phoned him, and, or phoned him, they didn't have phones, uh, wrote him a letter and said to him, I've tried everything. We've done this, we've done that, the guys aren't responding. And William Booth wrote back and he said, try tears. And you know, we don't. We think it's going to be not so bad. It's going to be really bad for those that don't have Jesus. Forever. That when we stand, you know, I had someone yesterday, we, hey, can we invite you to our Easter service? No, thanks. But like, not even like thinking about it, just battered, you know. And I feel like, oh, you know, but I'm thinking, what are you, if you never respond to Jesus in your life, what are you going to feel like sitting in eternity thinking about that moment where you could have responded? Never mind about the metaphor, possibly, of a worm eating you forever. Imagine feeling those missed opportunities when someone on the street or some one of your family members shared the gospel with you and you didn't respond. For eternity, if only, if only I had responded, I would be saved. I would be in heaven now. But now, instead, I'm delegated to a place of fire and destruction where Matthew 13 says there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You know, someone, an old guy once said, who had missed his uh, teeth, he'd lost his teeth over the years, and he put up his hand during the weeping and gnashing of teeth and said, what if we don't have any teeth? And the preacher said, teeth will be provided. <laughs> but it'll be suffering forever and ever with no hope. You know, on earth, there's always hope. You know, we always think in hell, there's no more hope forever. There's no plan after that. This is the plan. The Bible says one life to live and then the judgment. So we see here at this Easter time, that we remember the great sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Do you know that Jesus was sacrificed, went to the cross at Easter time? Uh, it was the Passover time. We can see that in John 19. But 1 Corinthians 5, 7 confirms this case. It says, Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch. Unleavened batch as you really are for Christ." Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. So we see that, the, that, that lamb's blood that was on display in Egypt with Moses and his guys, we see that that was actually a, a, a foreshadow, was pointing towards the real thing. And the real thing was Jesus as the Passover lamb. And uh, we know that Jesus was sacrificed at the... Uh, uh, the time of Passover. So there's this, uh, there's this confirmation. There's this message that goes out. Uh, and we see it in that scripture there, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, that Jesus has become the Passover lamb. And this is the good news. And John picked it up here in John 1, 29. It says, 
The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you know how controversial that statement was? John the Baptist made that statement in the context, in the Jewish context. At that time, the Jews believed that God was only uh, pouring out his salvation upon Israel only. And, and no one ever had an idea that God's salvation could go beyond Israel. In fact, they wanted to stone Paul when he even brought a Gentile, a non-Jew, into the temple or even the outer uh, temple courts. But here John is saying that Jesus is the sacrificial lamb, not only for the nation of Israel, but for the whole world. That the example of the Passover, <clears throat> excuse me, my beautiful wifey, why don't you give her a clap there? And We see that John was saying that the Passover lamb, Jesus, was not only for the nation of Israel, but also for the sin of the whole world. And that's the message that we must take out. One of the problems that we see as we go out into the world, uh, doing evangelism and speaking to people, is that people don't feel a need for Jesus. Because they don't realize that there is a problem. You know, I can, do you guys remember the movie Titanic where they fell into the water? And when they fell into the water, it was extremely uh, uh, uncomfortable because the water was ice cold. But then they became accustomed to the water and then it wasn't so bad. But eventually the water would kill them. The coldness would, would drop their, their body temperature to a point where they would kill them. If I threw out a life buoy, you know, that circular thing, to someone, they got to know that the water is bad. And I've noticed in the world that many people are enjoying the swim. The water is lovely. I don't need that life buoy. Because they don't realize that the water is actually going to kill them. And we see that in the world is that people don't realize that they have a problem. Unless you're sick and know that you're sick, you're not going to want the medicine. And usually what happens is when we ask someone, will they get to heaven out in the world? Their usual default answer is because I am a good person. And the Bible says, you know, they think about Hitler. They think, well, I'm not as bad as Hitler. But the Bible actually says that no one is good. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all, there is no one that is good. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. And Ephesians 2.3, which I quoted earlier, is that we were uh, by nature, uh, objects of wrath, like the rest. You know, the rest is like everyone. But outside of Jesus, we are objects of wrath. And people will say, well, I, I, I've never, you know, killed someone. And maybe, I, you know, I've never 
being guilty of fornication or adultery or anything like that. But Jesus says that thoughts count. Matthew 5, 28 says, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So even the thought is counting. Matthew 5, 22 says, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. We don't think that sin is so bad. But heaven is a holy place with a holy God, and none of us can be good enough for heaven. All of us know deep inside that we have had many, many thoughts that count against us. If this is true, what Jesus says, there's so much that counts against every single one of us. And Jesus says there, we'll be in danger of the fire of hell. We need to realize that heaven is a place only for holy creatures. God is more holy than we actually think he is. And he cannot be without any sin whatsoever. I think for us, we must also realize, those of us that become born again, we need to realize how clean we actually have been made. Because most of us here know what it's like to come into the presence of the holy God, and all we feel is love. That's how much power the blood has to clean. God's not going like, ah, oh, I'm just going to like hang by the sin. God's actually saying, I can't see the sin. It's covered by the punishment of my son. He's taken all sin. That we can actually, you know, if God is as holy as I'm saying he is, if we can be in his presence and all we feel is love and acceptance, that means that the, 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 the work of the blood is quite complete. It's quite complete. It cleans completely. It's the blood of Jesus plus zero. It's by faith alone. Sanctification must be another pillar in our walks, but the pillar of faith is by faith alone. The Bible says that if a man believes in his heart and confesses his mouth, he will be saved. And we see this on the uh, passage of the cross. And I'm landing this big airplane. Luke 23, 39 to 43 says, And you've got to picture the scene, and, and Joe showed it to us in that video earlier. You've got Jesus on the cross, and you've got two criminals either side. You've got one criminal who kind of, I think both criminals represent mankind. But both criminals represent two different responses to Jesus. The one criminal on the one side says, I don't need Jesus. The criminal on the other side, this is his account. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God 
Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing. Then he said, and it's as simple as this. You know, that criminal on the cross, what work could he add to his faith? He was, for goodness sake, besides his heart and his mouth, he couldn't move anything else. But he could move his heart and he could move his lips. And he said, Jesus, remember me when I come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Matthew 10, 32 says, therefore whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. And Romans 10, 9 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Why don't we just stand just where you are, please, if you don't mind, and just bow your head. And I'm just going to ask you if you are willing to pray this prayer with me. And I remember praying this prayer more than 30 years ago in that one meeting that I shared about earlier. And I know in that meeting I was willing to join in the prayer. So wherever you're at right now, wherever you're at, I'd ask you, if you are willing, won't you join me in this prayer of salvation? Let's bow our heads and speak to God. If you can just repeat after me in this prayer. Jesus, I come before you a sinner. Please save me. Wash me clean. I believe that you are the Son of God. And that you died for me. To save me from hell. To wash me clean. So that I can stand in the presence of a holy God, without fear, without guilt. The punishment, Jesus, that brought me peace was upon you and the cross. So save me today. Cover me with your blood. From now forwards into eternity. I receive your salvation in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen, amen. Just while, uh, while our heads are bowed, did anyone pray that prayer in a way that it was a decision time for you for the first time? Why don't you just raise your hand that we can see what the Lord has done in your heart. Anyone this here today, you prayed that for the first time to God, and you know that He saved you right now. Just raise your hand where you are, and we'll rejoice together with you. Just lift your hand up high. Anyone in this meeting, you prayed that for the first time to God, and you know that you got saved. Just lift up your hand. I'll just give it a moment or two longer. Anyone during that time and after this preach today, knew 
that this was a business day that you did to the Lord, and it was a recommitment. Anyone know there was a recommitment today to the Lord? Why don't you put your hand up and we can rejoice with you. Anyone in this meeting today, just lift your hand if you know that you made a recommitment today. And we'll rejoice with you. Otherwise, we'll move on. Okay. I take it that we are all saved and rejoicing in the salvation of God. And I would encourage us and I'd encourage myself because I'm the same as you. Let us take any fervor that we felt from the Holy Spirit or from the Word of God today. And let's take it to our friends, to our family, to our work colleagues, knowing that outside of Jesus, that police line where you don't have your wallet is all that remains for them, but something infinitely worse than that. And we would say to them, please have your wallet ready, i.e., Please have Jesus ready on the day of judgment that is coming for all of us. Please have that blood on you, that blood that Jesus shed for you. Have it, receive it, so that you will be saved. Amen? Amen.